Okay, and welcome to episode 59. Gratitude for taking the time to click on that little triangle that points to the right for a go-around of this podcast that thrives on all things cinematic, past, present, and future. Whether this is your first listen or your 59th, thank you. My name is Frank, and this is Silver Screeners. This time around, we're taking a trip back to the summer of 1987 and a double feature of comedies from that season, Adventures in Babysitting, starring Elizabeth Shue and directed by Chris Columbus, and Summer School, starring Mark Hyman and directed by Carl Reiner. Both were relatively modest hits when initially released, but gained big followings on home video and cable. And if the idea of 35-year-old motion pictures is a bit dubious for you and results in your screaming to yourself, no! then behold the words of actress Lauren Bacall. It's not an old movie, if you haven't seen it. This episode has been delayed by about a week or so, but for good reason. I've been hit with COVID. So my energy levels and ability to stay awake have been pretty minimal. Fortunately, I'm coming out of it now, even though the loss of taste and smell was not something I ever bargained for, or anyone else affected by this bastard. But to keep my spirits up and my voice steady, I even broke out my guitar and wrote a song about it. So if I may. COVID Fuck you Well, that's all I have so far, but thank you very much. I'm stoked to welcome back to the show a return guest, Kahlo from the Movie Loop Podcast. He first joined me for episode 50, which tipped a hat to the 50th anniversary this year of The Godfather. As I mentioned last time he was on, we're in the same time zone, which works out great, seeing as how it was a Sunday night when we met up online a few weeks ago. I'm in Massachusetts, and he's in Puerto Rico. His show is a lot of fun, but he should be the one to tell you all about it, so let me bring him on. As is usually the case when a guest comes on, our talk is pre-recorded, so once it wraps up, stick around because there'll be the usual poll results and listener trivia segment with shoutouts. You don't want to miss those. All of that is coming your way, but one last thing, I should issue a spoiler alert. We're going to be talking about adventures in babysitting and summer school in depth, so if you haven't seen them yet or haven't seen them in a while but plan to and don't want any spoilers, just consider this a friendly heads up. So here's the conversation between me and Kahlo from The Movie Loot. Kahlo, welcome back to the show, and thank you for taking the time to record, especially on a Sunday night. Before we go any further, I want to be sure to give you the chance to tell us a little bit about your podcast, remind our listeners who you are and what your show's all about. Thanks for having me again. I host the podcast, The Movie Loot, and the goal is to share the best loot of films with people. Uh, last week, we released two episodes, a special episode dedicated to one scene from Pulp Fiction and regular episode 64, where I talk about my loot of films for June. And I'm currently editing episode 65, The Western Loot, where me and a guest talk about the Western. So those are kind of the, the, the formats that I follow in the, in the show. Fantastic. And it is a great show. I love listening to it. I said just before we began recording that I've downloaded your most recent ones. I'm looking forward to listening to them over the next few days. No, thanks for the support always, man. Oh, absolutely. I appreciate it. So today we're here to talk about two movies that were released in the summer of 1987, Adventures in Babysitting and Summer School. These are two comedies that were released 35 years ago. 1987 was a pretty decent year for movies. Action flicks like The Running Man, The Untouchables, Lethal Weapon, Predator, Robocop, and of course, comedies like these two. Today's double feature, Adventures in Babysitting, starring Elizabeth Shue and directed by Chris Columbus, and Summer School, starring Mark Harmon and Kirstie Alley, directed by none other than the legendary comedian Kyle Reiner. Oh, yeah. Let's begin with Adventures in Babysitting. The first question I have for you is, when was the first time you saw this? Do you have any specific memories associated with it? Anything 
that like what's your immediate reaction once you hear the title well I, i'm pretty sure it was one of those early rentals when i was a, a preteen one of those first uh rentals when when we first hit a video store at that time and i remember i remember loving it but it had been so long that the only thing i remembered was the classic scene with vincent d'onofrio uh, as the mighty thor when you see him coming down the, the in the garage um I, I that that scene always stuck in my mind, and to be fair, that was the only thing that I remember when you told me, "Hey, we, we're <laughs> going to talk about this film," and I said, "Okay, I'm going to catch up with it." Um, so so I rewatched it this this week, and and I had a lot of fun with it. We're we're going to talk about it, but but I had a lot of fun with it. One of the first things I think it is the first thing that I remember about this film. My very first memory of it was seeing the television ad for it back in the '80s. They used to do commercials for upcoming movies by giving you little snippets of what the critics used to say. And I remember that one of the critics that the voice of a narrator quoted from more entertaining than Ferris Bueller's day off. So Ferris Bueller had come out one year earlier in 86. And I can remember that my sister and I, we were in the same room when that commercial came on and she was, and still is a huge Ferris Bueller fan. And I just remember her saying better than Ferris Bueller. Oh, I've got to see this. She saw it first. I saw it afterwards. I did see it in the theater. <laughs> like I said, that, that quote, more entertaining than Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Another quote said, loads of unending fun. And then a really weird one said, the summer's happy movie is here, which is like, okay. <laughs> I'm sure what they meant by that, but I'm assuming it was a good thing. I did see it. Saw it with a friend of mine from school and... I actually did think it was more entertaining than Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I'm probably one of the few Generation Xs who does not have Ferris Bueller's Day Off on a pedestal. But more, more on that another time, I guess. <laughs> Adventures in Babysitting, I thought, was just much, I don't know, the characters were more likable, I thought. Yeah, definitely. Ferris Bueller is a dick. <laughs> so there's, yeah, uh, I'm a fan of the film, but but I'm I'm a Cameron guy, so uh, Cameron is my guy. So, uh, but but as, as far as it being more entertaining than Ferris Bueller, you know, I I think I, I don't know if I might agree, but they're they're up there. I I think they're revisiting adventures, revisiting adventures, and maybe seeing it this week. It, like I said, I had a lot of fun, and I don't know why I hadn't seen it in in, in such a long time. Because it was, again, it was a lot of fun. And if you ask me, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I wouldn't be bothered with anybody that said, no, this is better than Ferris Bueller. Uh, it, because it, it was pretty good. I think the one thing the movie did not have going for it, and this is a matter of opinion, but the title. The title I didn't think was a great one, Adventures in Babysitting. It sounded like a like nothing appealing. So when you first see the title and then you see... The title just sounds too kiddish. Yeah, maybe, but but I think it gives that vibe of they have a, a an adventure that that I I wrote in my notes that that adventure straddled that line between reality and 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 absurdity uh, with the, the the amount of things that they find. Um, and I think it gives that maybe this is comparison that maybe stretching a bit, but maybe Raiders of the Lost Tarkish kind of. In terms of of trying to achieve or, or or a quest to do something, in this case, find this this friend that is stranded in in Chicago, and then go back, going back to their home, uh, that is their quest, and then they treat it like an adventure. It's an adventure. The amount of uh, roadblocks that they find. It, so I think it it, it fits. I, I see your point, but I think it fits. 
For anybody who's listening who has not seen the film in a while or who may not remember it or who has never seen it, the basic premise is this. The film opens up with Chris Parker, played by Elizabeth Shue. She's getting ready for a big date. She's getting ready to celebrate her anniversary with her boyfriend. She's dancing around in her bedroom during the opening credits to the song Then He Kissed Me by the, I think it's by the Crystals. And it's a cute sequence, but we'll talk more about that. But she's dancing around. She's all get up to have the night of her life. She's on cloud nine. She's full of life and energy. And then the doorbell rings. She goes downstairs. Her boyfriend is standing there at the door and he breaks their date. He says that his little sister is sick. His parents are going out. He has to stay home and take care of her. She offers to come over and help. And he says, no, no, no. She's contagious. I don't want you to get sick. Probably one of the lamest excuses ever made for breaking a date in reality or fiction. But I don't know if that was a matter of lazy writing or if he's just supposed to be that much of a, of a prick. But either way, that's the excuse he gives her. He says, my little sister is sick. So she's now depressed. Her best friend, Brenda, comes over to, to console her, to cheer her up. And Brenda has a few woes of her own. She's not doing well with her father and her stepmother. She and her stepmother don't get along. She's saying, I'm going to run away from home. And she has one memorable line where she says, one of these days, I'm going to spike her tab with Drano. And Chris (laughs) says to her, yeah, I wouldn't do that. So (laughs) then Chris's mother comes in through the door and says, oh, Chris, Mrs. Anderson just called. She wants to know if you can babysit tonight. And that sets all the wheels in motion. So Chris says, I don't want to babysit. I just want to stay home and be depressed. But then she figures, you know what? If I'm going to be depressed, I may as well get paid while doing it. So off she goes to babysit. There she is with little Sarah Anderson and Sarah's brother, Brad, played by Maya Bruton and Keith Coogan, respectively. Then while she's babysitting, she's there for no longer than four or five minutes. The phone rings. She answers it. It's a collect call for those of us old enough to remember what the hell a collect call is. It's a collect call from her friend Brenda saying, Chris, I did it. I ran away from home. I'm at the bus station downtown. I have no money left. If I take a cab to the Andersons, can you pay for it? Chris says, I can't. I don't have that kind of money. So Brenda begs, please come pick me up. So Chris has no choice but to gather up her charges. Sarah, Brad, Brad's friend, Daryl, who sort of inserts himself into the situation. And together, these four get into the station wagon and they head off into the big bad city of downtown Chicago in the middle of a winter's eve. And they proceed to have one hair raising disaster after another. And as you said, Carlo, yeah, it does teeter on the brink of absurdity and, you know, total Total fast. It's 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 comedy and uh, and, yeah. and it's very appealing in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's just one thing or the other. I mean, uh, from from having to pick up Brenda and then the, the the flat tire, then the guy in the tow truck wants to face check his wife because he's, he's she's having an affair or something. They end up in the train, the gang fight. It's like I said. A, top everything on top of each of, of everything else again it, it straddles that line of absurdity and reality but i love it i, I think it, it does it in a way that that is charming earnest uh, compelling and, and fun entertaining which is the, the the point of the film it's really one series of misadventures one sequence after another after another the whole series of disasters begins with them driving along the highway into the city. Suddenly there's a flat tire. 
of course, there's no spare because the spare is already in the car. <laughs> so <Yeah>. they, <laughs> then she realizes, oh, I forgot my purse. Yeah. I can't pay for a tow. I can't pay for a new tire. So one thing after another. Uh, it cracks me up, though, because when she first showed up at the Andersons, Mrs. Anderson was saying, okay, Sarah's just getting over a cough. So here's some cough syrup. I want her to take some in an hour and then some before she goes to bed. Chris remembers the cough syrup, but she doesn't remember her purse. I thought that was a interesting <laughs> little uh, deus ex machina for the film writing. Yeah. But you just go with it because this movie just has a comic sense of whimsy that you can't help but go along with. You totally root for Chris because Elizabeth Shue, in my opinion anyway, is then and now is that appealing of an actress. I knew her from The Karate Kid. Adventures in Babysitting was her first leading role. I, I thought she was perfect for it. Yeah, she was great, and and she had she had a, a great decade because I mean she was in Karate Kid, she was in Back to the Future two and three. Uh, she had this, uh, so she had she had a couple of really iconic roles. And I think I don't know why, but later in her career, she kind of not vanished because she she kept working. But I think she she should have been bigger maybe uh, or at least she gave that impression i don't know if it's the last thing i saw her and she was really good in it was in the boys have you seen the boys haven't i've heard of it though this oh, yeah. series on netflix yeah no um prime prime amazon prime yeah yeah so she was in the first season and she was really good so uh so it's good to see her being uh, in notable roles and notable uh projects That's good. I haven't seen The Boys, so I wasn't aware that she was in it, but I'm glad that she's not simply reduced to doing cameo appearances in Cobra Kai. <laughs> no, she was in it once or twice, but it's good that she's still getting new material to work with, you know? Yeah, yeah. But as far as Adventures in Babysitting goes, what I want to ask you first, what are some of your favorite scenes from the film or any favorite lines of dialogue or any favorite comic bits? Yeah, as, as I was rewatching it, Every time I saw every, every scene, I kept reminding myself, oh, yeah, I remember this and I remember this. And things uh, started to flow. Uh, for example, the, the, something as, as simple as, what's the name of the friend, Daryl, um, <laughs> playing with the, with the glass when he goes home and he just uh, sticks the mouth in the glass and just like, <sighs> just like does this thing where he, he blows his, his mouth up. Uh, I, I had forgotten about that. It's, it's just something stupid, but, but it made me laugh. The whole thing with the Thor, with the Thor scene, that scene, it, it always stuck with me. So it was fun to revisit it now and remember it. But again, that is, is that you mentioned a word that I think describes it pretty well. That whimsy, uh, because they're 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 even running uh, from gangsters. But there's never that. It's not the kind of film that takes itself too seriously. It it, it always plays with that whimsy, whimsical tone and that fun tone where where you know oh they're 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 being pursued but you know it's it's obviously not that kind of film where you know they're going to be in danger but for example the the clash in the with the two gangs in the in the subway it's really fun too um and how she braves herself up and faces faces them it's also a funny scene one that i always thought it was pretty good and it's one that maybe strays into more serious territory and maybe we're getting into more uh, towards the end of the film is when she faces her boyfriend because obviously we're gonna we're gonna spoil what happens but uh, eventually towards the end of the film she finds out that 
her boyfriend is actually cheating on her. She she, she realizes they they drive through the restaurant where she was supposed to be with her with with him on their date, and they see his car. He has a Camaro, a red Camaro, um, and they see the car parked outside. Say, you know, well, he's here. He 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 went on on the date, and they find him there with another girl. But but the way she, she faced him, I thought it was really good. Um, it was one of those. The '80s has uh, the '80s have a lot of these moments where the lead character, male or female, face uh, their dick boyfriends or dick girlfriends or or this um, bullies. There's a lot of these instances, and this is a good one. And I actually like the fact that Brad Kit Coogan uh, stands up for for her. Um, because I remember, this is one of the, the things that I remember. I, well, I was always rooting for Brad, even though he, he's a kid, but he was maybe more closer to my age when I saw the film. So I was, I was kind of, ah, ah, let, let's see if he gets the girl or <laughs> so, so it was good to see his, to see him, uh, stand up for her, even though she eventually ends up with someone else, but, but it was, that, that was a good scene. Yeah, you mentioned the subway scene. I would definitely single that one out as one of my favorites because that was a scene where we got not only Elizabeth Shue having the opportunity to be totally badass, but it was also it was also the scene that guaranteed the film a PG-13 rating. Yeah. And this was the first film released by a Dis- by Disney that got a PG-13 rating. So the two rival gangs, and as you said, Brad comes to her defense. So the two gangs come in on opposite sides of the subway train, and they're threatening each other. They pull out their switchblades. Chris stands up. She tries to get them to wait until they get off the train. They just simply turn to her and say, sit down, bitch. And that's when Brad says, oh, (laughs) not under my watch. He gets up like an idiot, and he faces these switchblade-wielding (laughs) <laughs> gangs and says that was really rude and apologize and you big city scum sucker <laughs> and so you know the funny thing is that i saw it in uh, on, on disney plus but it was an edited version so they say witch but you can see you can see they they say bitch but they say <laughs> they they change it to witch uh, so when he says did you really say that to her you know you know that 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 they did say bitch <laughs> Because that would fly under the radar. <laughs> uh, sometimes these uh, censorship jobs are just yeah, yeah, too good for words. <laughs> yeah. But another scene that, that when I saw it, it really made me laugh was the scene when you see um, uh, Brenda, when she's stranded in the, in the train station in downtown Chicago, and she's so afraid, she's scared because there are bombs everywhere. And and she's, she's talking with Chris and she says, there's a guy with a gun. And you just see the guy with the gun, just like showing it to her. <laughs> it's, it, again, it's so absurd because the guy doesn't do anything to her, but it's just like this representation of everything bad in one place. Because she said, there's a guy with a gun and, and the guy just keeps showing, showing her the gun and there's bombs everywhere. And, and, and she cuddles a rat thinking it's a kid and again all of the what we were talking about all of these things happening one thing on top of the other for brenda as well we were saying it for chris but for brenda as well all these bad things that she's imagining in downtown all all of them concentrated in one place and i thought it was really funny I think that's really one of the movies, I'm not going to call it a running gag, but definitely one of the recurring themes in the film is that these kids, totally suburban, yeah, 
they're, they're leaving the sheltered bubble of their suburban existence, their homes, their, you know, their private streets, the whole thing. They're going out into the big bad city where everything that is enticing and everything that is cool and everything that is dangerous is just, as you said, all there in one place. And really, that, that sort of, uh, there are some di- there's some dialogue sort of sprinkled throughout the film that, that pokes fun at that kind of uh, naivete. One of my favorite scenes is, of course, when they're in the uh, the blues nightclub oh, and they're trying to escape. And the lead singer says to them, nobody gets off this stage without singing the blues. <laughs> and she's saying into the microphone, <laughs> I forget exactly how she leads into it, but she refers to the fact that they come from a small suburb. And Brad yeah. says into the microphone, yeah, I think everybody here figured that out. <laughs> yeah. And, and somebody else says something to that effect also where, where they said, um, this is something about the suburbs and they say, yeah, I know that, that, you know, I, I don't know if it was one of the gang members or, or someone in the hospital or someone that they, they kind of play on that, on that uh, stereotype of suburban kids lost in, in downtown. Yeah. These kids who are just completely out of their element. And when they admit that this is a world that's totally unknown to them, it's like the hell you say, because <laughs> <It's like laughs> yeah. they just scream suburban kids. Going back for just a moment to the opening credit sequence, I would have to point that out as another one of my favorites in the film. I already mentioned how introduces us to her, you know, yeah, you know, you see the film logo, touchstone pictures, you know, and then the song kicks in and then immediately cut into a shot of her bedroom. And then she jumps into the frame and she's doing this dance and she's lip syncing to the song. Then he kissed me. You know, everything you need to know about this character. throughout these first two minutes as i said already you know she's effervescent she's positive she's got a got a a zest for life maybe she's a little caught up in dreamland as far as romance goes you know that's something that's developed later on when both brad and daryl is trying to convince her just how much of a loser her boyfriend mike is which led to one of daryl played by anthony rapp that led to one of my favorite lines of dialogue is when they're driving into the city and brad's sort of pushing Chris, he's got a crush on her. And so he's saying, your boyfriend, Mike, do you like him a lot? And he's grilling her with all these questions. And and Anthony Rapp, Daryl, says, Mike, oh, is he the one who has the license plate that says, so cool? So cool. (laughs) (laughs) And he says, he's the guy who... uh, you know, who beat me up last year for, for something. Yeah, and yeah. Chris was saying he wouldn't do something like that. And, and Daryl's response is, yes, he would. And he did. He kicked my ass. Do you want to see the footprints? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. It's really funny. And like you said, it's that intro uh, to, the, to the movie is, a, like you said, a great bit of exposition because you see all that. You see, you see her kissing the picture of Mike. So you get all that idea uh, in, in, in those two minutes. Like I said, it, it's a great intro. I was 13 when this movie came out in 87. They didn't even finish the opening credits yet. And already I'm sitting there in the movie theater and I'm thinking to myself, I am in love. <laughs> I'm in love with this actress. She was, I'm not yeah, going to call yeah. her my first celebrity crush because she wasn't, but she was definitely the crush of the year for me at that point. When I even I, forgave her for that checkerboard skirt that she was wearing. <laughs> when when I tweeted that I was watching the film, uh, one of my one of my friends said, "Oh, I got I got me a mad crush on Elizabeth Shue at that time." <laughs> so yeah, you're, you're not alone. <laughs> <laughs> but another thing that that 
I thought it was interesting and goes to to what we were talking about the title is that the title even though you see the credits you see uh, the actors and and all the credits but the title card Adventures in Babysitting doesn't come until she's driving to to uh, Brad's uh, house that's when you see the the, right. the title come up so it kind of hints that this is when the adventure begins uh, it, it's at that moment as she's heading to the house that's when the adventure begins and I thought that was interesting. Like everything up to that point was all expository. You now know yeah. who's who and here's where. Yeah. <laughs> buckle up because here's where <laughs> everything yeah. kicks into high gear. Which is, it's right, even after she has this conversation with Brenda and, and her parents. So it, it's a good deal after the, the intro. Um, so you see all the credits, but the title doesn't come, I, I think it's like five minutes after the film starts. So I, I, it's definitely intentional to wait to put the title card at that point. If I had to point out something that was loads of unending fun, getting back to the boyfriend's license plate, so cool, just for a moment. He was played by Bradley Whitford. That was his real Camaro, and that was his real license plate. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> so if you take a look at the uh, license plate, you'll see that it's Wisconsin, not uh, yeah. Illinois. You, you stole one of my curious facts. <laughs> ah shoot sorry about that <laughs> no, no, oh, I, can, I can edit this out and then we can I, no no I, I have backups i have backups no worries okay good <laughs> <laughs> no no but i i just really i just read that a while ago and i thought yeah you see this is this is really cool um <laughs> and bradley wait for who, who has uh become a, a pretty good actor i mean he was in coming in the woods he was in handmaid's tale i think yeah yeah as far as Chris's other love interest, the guy, Dan, the frat boy, Dan, talk about the honor system. He meets this girl <laughs> who he finds out is a high school senior. He's a college man. And after knowing her for all of maybe 14 minutes, they slow dance. She rests her head in his chest and he gives her $45. And it's like, uh, you know, there's a word for that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Well, it worked. <laughs> it worked. She got the $45. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but yeah, it's even in those scenes, you know, you you it's it's again that whimsy which you mentioned it. Uh, you, you believe these things, you accept these things with no explanation, and you accept all the things that they're going through, um, and that everything's going to be solved and everything's going to be fine in the end, um, and this, she's going to be she, she's going to find someone to be with um, after what her boyfriend did so it, it it plays well into that whimsical angle of the film and, and i think it's earned it's maybe it's one of those things that you say oh you know like like you said oh after a couple of minutes you know they fell in love but but i think it it feels earned and they do have a lot of chemistry of the, the george newberg is the name of the, the actor that plays dan and they have a lot of chemistry he's he's, he's charming he's gentleman and i think they handle it well there are a couple of things that I wanted to point out that the film leaves unresolved. I don't know what your opinions on these might be, but first of all, it's no secret to say that everything works out well in the end. She picks up Brenda. Brenda comes home. Brenda's whole home life is still unresolved. I mean, like, well, like what's Brent, the poor Brent, like what's her next step? She now has no money. Uh, she humiliated herself by you know, getting the life scared out of her. And uh, now here she is back to square one. Is she going to go back to the Drano or <laughs> like what's her next, <laughs> what's going to be her next move? That was one thing left unresolved. One thing that even at the age of 13, when I saw this in the theaters, I remember turning to my friend afterwards and saying, but what about this? 
Brad now has one stitch on his toe from when the gang leader tosses the switchblade down. So if the parents are never supposed to find out <laughs> what they were up to that night, how does he get the stitch removed? I would think that if he tries to take it out himself, it'd be a little... I nitpick, I know. But these are the kind of questions that always <laughs> popped into my mind, even when I was a little kid. Maybe it's one of those stitches that, that come out um, on, on their own. I don't know. <laughs> but... but... That, that's something that we will even see in, in, in our next film in summer school, the, the kind of things that problems will get solved uh, miraculously and, and uh, somehow everything will, will work in the end. I think that that's, that's a common trend, in, not only in 80s or in 90s, but that, that's a common trend in this kind of whimsical, I'm not going to say family, but maybe teen family oriented films. Uh, maybe this was a learning uh, opportunity for Brenda and maybe she's going <laughs> to say, okay, I'm, I don't want to be again in the lost in downtown, so I'm going to make this work. <laughs> and maybe she'll fix uh, her, her issues with her family. <laughs> Who knows? And then you have the character of Joe Gipp. What, what happens to him? <laughs> I mean, he punches the crap out of Bleak, his boss, yeah, and helps <laughs> the kids escape. So Joe Gipp is now a mocked man. Is he now on the run? Is he a fugitive? Like, where does he go yeah. from here? I, 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 my, 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 my forty-four-year-old mind thought that when it happened. When I say, okay, uh, if you punch the mob boss, uh, your mob boss is definitely gonna gonna get it at, in the end. <laughs> But again. It's this whimsical thing that, you know, things are going to get solved in the end. And, and you get this, this other guy, second, second in command, is on the ledge of a building and, and you laugh at it. I mean, it's not like, uh, how is he going to, is he going to fall to his death? Is he going to, no, it, it's that whimsy of, of the film. And, and I think the film plays it really well. Yeah. yeah that character who was on the side of the building was, his name was Graydon. Graydon and yeah. he was in a post credits clip. Yes. Where he's still hanging on. <laughs> Hell? <laughs> well, I do have a few behind-the-scenes fun facts. I know that one of yours was already <laughs> already had the thunder stolen from it. So, again, I'm sorry about that. No, no, I um, have backups. Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> What's your first one? Well, there's uh, a thing that I, that I found curious, but Elizabeth Shue faints and says that when they're in the hospital and she thinks that Brad, died because the doctor <laughs> comes saying oh, the guy with with the stab wound died and she faints and when they wake her up she says i had the worst nightmare and she says the, she does the exact same thing and says the exact same line in back to the future uh, when she stumbles upon the house of her future self i think she faints when she like looks upon herself or something and then they wake her up and she says i had the worst nightmare so i thought that was that was interesting Uh, that was a pretty cool parallel there. Yeah. Yeah, one that I have actually has to do with the character of the little girl, Sarah. She was a huge fan of Thor. Yeah. That was, you know, established throughout the whole film. And initially, in an earlier draft of the script, she was going to be a news junkie with a crush on Dan Rather, the news <laughs> anchor man, Dan Rather. So you can see why they would have changed that. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, I can't imagine Dan Rather going out the in the garage, like going out, <laughs> that would, would, would give that same vibe. Peter Jennings, maybe, but not Dan. <laughs> but the thing that was interesting is that the actress, Maya Bruton, she and Elizabeth Shue both were in the Back to the Future trilogy, but in different films. 
Maya Bruton was in the first one. She plays one of Maddie McFly's aunts as a child. She's in one scene, the dinner scene, when they're watching Jackie Gleason and the Honeymooners at the, at the yeah. table. Maddie's saying, oh, yeah, we have two TVs. And that was Maya Bruton as one of Lorraine's younger sisters. And then Elizabeth Shue took over the role of the girlfriend Jennifer for two and three. Yeah. So they didn't appear together in the trilogy, but they're both in it. Maya Bruton, she graduated from Yale in 1998. She left acting. She works as a lawyer and she lives with her wife and two kids in Manhattan. So the Windy City for the Big Apple. Okay. Uh, another dangerous downtown evil city. <laughs> <laughs> for, the, for us suburbanites. <laughs> yeah. This, this one I found really uh, interesting. It's no, no big deal, but just a list of actresses that were considered or auditioned for the lead role of Chris. And it's a long list of, of big, big, big name actress. Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Jodie Foster, Mitchell Pfeiffer, Sharon Stone, Brooke Shields, Andy McDowell, Melanie Griffith, and Kathleen Turner, among many others. Now we're even. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a couple of things, a couple of names I can piggyback off of. <laughs> Elizabeth Shue was not the first choice because the first choice either. was actually Molly Ringwald. The producers, Deborah Hill and Linda Oakes, they turned to Molly Ringwald. Ringwald said, no, I'm done with this, meaning teenage roles. And yeah. in addition to the names that you mentioned, there was also Phoebe Cates, who was at the time probably most known for Gremlins. And it came down eventually to two finalists, Elizabeth Shue and One Day at a Time, the, the sitcom One Day at a Time, Valerie Bertinelli. Yeah. They felt that Valerie Bertinelli came off as mean and angry. So, <laughs> so she was out and Elizabeth Shue was in. The shoe was in. Okay. The shoe was in. <laughs> I think, I think Tatum O'Neill was also, I read that she was also considered uh, Ryan O'Neill's sister, Tatum from Paper Moon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I haven't seen her in anything after she was a kid that I, that I remember. Yeah. And I don't think she's done really anything. Maybe Dancing with the Stars or something, but. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I okay. had another one. Do uh, you, you know that Bradley Whitford drove his own camera on the film? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I stole two then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the last one that I have was that there was a TV sitcom spinoff of Adventures in Babysitting. Same title. Joey Lawrence played the Brad character. And Brian Austin Green from 90210, he plays the Daryl character. Deborah Hill and Linda Oakes to produce the film. They also produced this show. The show did not go beyond the pilot. It was not picked up for a series. So there was one episode and one episode only. It aired on July 7 of 1989. And you can catch the whole travesty on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, and, and I didn't know, but there also was a, a, a remake in 2016 uh, made by Disney. So I also saw that. I didn't know how it did, uh, but apparently... It only says that it attracted 3.45 million viewers, but doesn't say anything about any reviews or anything. But, but 2016, a remake of the film for Disney. I think the remake was supposed to have a couple of babysitters, not just one, if I'm not mistaken. At least that's what I read somewhere. Yeah. yeah Sabrina Carpenter and Sofia Carson are the leads. Teenagers with opposite personalities, but the same passion for photography, and they have to take care, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, apparently they, they are the, the two leads. I'm sure they're fine actresses, but they're no Elizabeth Shue, I'm sure, as no. well. So. No. 
All right. Well, I do have a few trivia questions for you about Adventures in Babysitting. And I'm not sure if how many you may have. Uh, I have two. You have two? Perfect. I have two as well. So let's see who is the <laughs> who is who who gets uh <laughs> who gets the hammer or Thor. <laughs> we'll see who gets Thor's hammer. All right. So the first question I have for you is this. Vincent Dionafrio, if I pronounced that correctly, he plays Dawson the mechanic, the one that Sire mistakes as Thor. That very same year, he packed on about 70 pounds to play a character named Private Pyle in what Vietnam-themed film? Full Metal Jacket. Woohoo! Full Metal Jacket it is, yes. You're talking about a fan of Kubrick, so <laughs> that, that was a gimme. <laughs> Going from, what's this? You owe me five bucks to I am in a world of shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's range. <laughs> no, no, definitely. A great actor. A great actor, really. He's a, a really, really great actor. So let's see. Uh, you mentioned uh, something around this, but let's see if, if you can get it. Uh, Elizabeth Shue plays a 17-year-old high school senior, and George Newbern, who plays 21-year-old college student Dan Lynch. But how old were they in real life? Okay, so she was 24, and I want to say he was 28. She was actually 23, at least when they were recording, when they were filming. But Newbern was 22, one year younger. Ah, bollocks. Hey, well, hey, game's not over yet because we still have one more each. The other question I have for you is this. Bradley Whitford, he made a career in the 80s of playing jerkwads like the character of Mike in Adventures in Babysitting. He also played the main bully in Revenge of the Nerds 2, Nerds in Paradise. In what Jordan Peele movie did he play a murderous racist, continuing his trend of playing despicable characters? Get out. Woohoo! Get out. Yeah. I'm not telling you to get out. That was the name of the film. Yeah. <laughs> get out. All right. Well, <laughs> so far, two nothing. So uh, let's see. Uh, Sarah wears uh, Sarah, the, the little girl. She wears a backpack all through the film with a figure, a character on it. What character is it? Oh, all right. No. No? No. It's not Thor? Is it a grum the gremlins? Yeah, Gizmo. Gizmo, Gizmo. Yeah. Well, you blew me out of the water, so <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, that makes sense actually, because Chris Columbus, this was his directorial debut, and yeah, you know, and he was involved in. He didn't direct Gremlins. Joe Dante did, but you know, he he wrote it. And you know that that's another interesting thing. It, it was uh, Columbus' first film, and I thought that for a first film, it was quite good. I mean, it was direction was fine. I mean, it wasn't anything groundbreaking, but but I thought he he handled the, the job really well. I thought it was a, he he did a good job. He did a great job making a movie that did not pretend to be something it was not. Yeah. You know, this was not a movie that was pretentious or that was trying to make some kind of social commentary or wasn't trying to contain some sort of cheesy moral sort of, you know, neatly tucked away at the end, like a Brady Bunch episode. It was summertime fun. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it was great for what it was. 
a lot worse things a movie can be than fun. So, <laughs> And speaking of fun, this might be a good time to pivot towards the other film in today's double feature. Same summer, 1987, also celebrating its 35th anniversary. Summer School, directed by Kyle Reiner and starring Mac Hyman, Kirstie Alley, and Robin Thomas. So let's begin with the same question that I have for you from Adventures in Babysitting, which is the first time you saw the movie, your initial impressions of it then, revisiting it now. What was that like? Well, I don't think I ever rented uh, this one, but I do remember it was regularly shown on, on local TV, and I saw it a couple of times. Uh, however, I hadn't seen it in probably 20 years or, or more, but decided to rewatch it last month. Um, I, I was looking for something like actually one of the gimmicks of my show for those that might give it a try, the movie look, is that I set certain criteria every month to guide me on what to watch. And last month I had one that, that said, uh, you have to watch a film with the word summer in its title. I, that night I was looking for something light, something uh, comedy or something fun. And I remember that I had seen this film a couple of times when I was a teenager. And I said, I haven't seen this in a long time, so let's let's check it out. So that that's when I saw it. But my memories for from from when I first saw it, like I said, it, it, it was something that I often saw on weekends, mornings, and and that kind of thing. And and I always remember there there are a couple of things that thing that I always remember the most is something that happens happens towards the end. But it's this guy that goes to, to take it's supposed to take this class in summer school and on the first day of the class he says you know i have to go to the bathroom and he goes uh, he doesn't appear at all through all the movie i said when they're going to take the test and he comes back with a key from the bathroom the day of the test he said yeah i was in the bathroom and i, I don't I, I don't remember what was the line that he said to 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 shoot to, to mark Harmon, but he said uh, I don't know, but he gives him the case and he says, okay. And he's the guy that gets the highest grade yeah. <laughs> in the test. So I, I thought I always thought that was really funny. But that I remember that and I remember the 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 scene with the with the gore, with the the special effects makeup and all that. That scene always uh stuck in my mind. But the thing is that I, I'm I'm a fan of Mark Harmon, sort of. Mark Harmon fan, I can say I'm a fan of NCIS, even though I've fallen behind a couple of seasons now. I haven't seen the last two or three seasons, but it, it was usually a comfort watch for me. So I, I like his, I, I, I like his, his, um, him as an actor, as a, as, a, as a person. I mean, what I know. But another thing that that I, I don't want to want to deviate too much. But another time I saw him was in the '90s. There was a film that's called Stealing Home. I think it was '92 or '90, early '90s with Jodie Foster, where he returns to his hometown to find out that Jodie Foster played like, it, it was like a friend or girlfriend from his youth and she dies and, and he returns home to find that they've entrusted him with the ashes of her. Uh, and he, he spends all, all the film trying to figure out what what she would have wanted him to do with the ashes while also coping with her death because he was, he was away and she wasn't there with him. And uh, that, that's a film that kind of stuck with me also with him, with Mark Harmon. Uh, so, all those three films, like Summer School, uh, this film, Stealing Home, that kind of stuck with me for some reason, even though I, I don't think it, it's uh, a great film, but it stuck with me. And, and, and CIS, and it kind of draw, draw me to, to it. Uh, so I, I think he's, uh, he's one of those actors that, since he started in CIS, he started in CIS, I think it was 2001, and he pretty much hasn't done anything else uh, after that. But I think he, he should have done more. I think he, he was a solid actor. 
Yeah, I can remember him being a regular on the 80s hospital drama St. Elsewhere. I seem to remember that he was here. I don't know if it was that one or Chicago Hope or, or one of those, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, medical shows. Yeah. So I think he's more known for television than for film. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think of films, Summer School, the one that you mentioned, uh, that one I have not seen. But the other film that comes to mind immediately is Freaky Friday with Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, I think he, I haven't seen that one, but I think he's the uh, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis boyfriend. He is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was I a pretty thankless that. role, but yeah. he was a recognizable face. So, <laughs> How about you? What, when was the first time that you saw it? That one I also saw in the theater at the time with the same person I saw Adventures of Babysitting with. <laughs> you would think that I'm making this out to be like this guy and I were best friends, but <laughs> I haven't seen him probably <laughs> since 1988. But, uh, <laughs> but maybe he listened uh, to the show. Maybe. <laughs> we're not even on Facebook, so I have no idea <laughs> what he's up to. But I can say that summer school, I saw in the theaters. Adventures in Babysitting was enjoyable, and my 13-year-old self was crushing on Elizabeth Shue. Summer School was, for me at the time, a laugh-out-loud comedy. Watching it again now, I think one of the things I love about it still is, yeah, it reeks of 80s, which is not a bad thing in the slightest, but it's, it's amazing how daring it was. Well, let me, let me put it this way. It's amazing how there are things that are in it that if you were to show it to <laughs> a teenager now, their jaws would drop, their eyes would bug out, and they would say, did they really put that in the movie? I'll, I'll refer specifically to what I mean. But again, for anybody who may, for anybody who may not have seen it, the premise is that Mark Hammond is a phys ed teacher, and he is all set at the end of the school year to go with his girlfriend to Hawaii to spend the summer in Hawaii. And he's a big kid. He's one of those types who decided to go into teaching because he figured, hey, this way I'll have summers off. And you know, he's the type who just mentally never left high school himself and, you know, just every negative stereotype. So <laughs> the summer school teacher gets a winning, a winning scratch ticket. I don't know, $20 million or whatever. It was played by Kyle Reiner yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in a great cameo. He has his winning scratch ticket. He goes running into the into the principal's office and he says, you know what this means? No summer school. <laughs> And he's like, what about loyalty? They're saying to him, he says, I have seen teachers who, you know, achieve great things. And then they go right back to the classroom. You know, I've seen people make millions and they go right back to busing tables. And Kyle Reiner says, and only the way Kyle Reiner can, they're friggin' morons. Let me out of here. <laughs> he goes, running down the hill. So now the principal and vice principal are looking at each other like, uh, what do we do now? We need someone to teach summer school. So the vice principal goes running out into the parking lot. And one by one, he's going to like one of my favorite scenes in the film. This is still in the very beginning. He's trying to to nab any possible teacher who's on their way out. And they're all like pulling their car doors shut and driving out of the parking lot. See, (laughs) burning rubber. (laughs) And that leaves just Freddie Shoop, the Mark Hammond character alone he's the only one and he's hiding behind a bush <laughs> and so they go he goes over to him and he says hey mr shoe congratulations you've been chosen to teach summer school <laughs> so, and he yeah. says i'm a phys ed teacher i don't know anything about english and he says it's okay he says these aren't students <laughs> so, these are real students i'm not a real teacher <laughs> okay they're no real students <laughs> That sets up the whole film. So he becomes the remedial English teacher of summer school and against his will. And he has to teach this ragtag group of kids who have absolutely zero motivation. It's sort of like two star with love played up for slapstick laughs, basically. Yeah, yeah. 
So that's the basic setup. So I start in the theaters in 1987, loved it, got it on VHS. I must have watched it 25 times. One of my memories of when the movie first came out was the TV ad. I thought it was strange then, and I think it's something straight out of an acid trip now. It was, you know, a typical ad with, you know, clips from the film and blurbs, what the critics were saying, you know, it's oh, a fun movie, come see it, blah, blah, blah. The closing of the trailer is the dog, Wondermutt, with a human mouth superimposed on its mouth. And the human mouth is moving and speaking, so it looks like the dog is talking. And what the dog, what you know, the quote unquote dog says is, it's more fun than sitting in the sun, and now it's playing everywhere. <laughs> I saw the movie anyway, despite the ad. But that's probably my first memory of the film before I saw it. And then I just remember laughing my way through it when we saw it in the theaters. But favorite scenes or favorite bits of dialogue? Uh, I think the, the the scene with the special effects, I think, was the one that that, that stuck with me more when I was when I was a kid. Um, I, I've always been a horror horror guy, a horror fan. The one that the kind of that that that's all the Friday the 13th and all the nightmares. So it, it was really cool to see, even as quote unquote unnecessary as that scene was, because it really seems it really feels a bit like. Oh, okay. We have access to, I think it was Rick Baker, the one who did the special effects credited. Oh, we have access to Rick Baker. So let's just put him to work. And he did the, the, the special effects and credited. But for a, for a horror fan, it, it, it stuck with me. And I thought it was really fun. The first scene, that, the scene with the guy that I mentioned also was the one that, that always stuck with me. But also the first, those first classes the first or one or two classes where you see the the, the dynamic uh which should be in this slob that doesn't care and that he's just uh trying to get by and you see how the kids oh also are you gonna be the teacher and uh, he says yeah i'm gonna be the teacher and one of them says like oh party all the time i i thought it was it was fun for me, I would have to say that if I had to pick out favorite scenes, any scene involving the character Denise, played by Kelly Jo Minta. I love Chainsaw and Dave. They were hysterical. And I think that the script made them out to be the, the so-called, not leaders of the class, but the real standouts, the one who got the most laughs. But the character of Denise cracked me up so much. I loved her. During the opening credit sequence, when the students are all handing their textbooks back in, and <laughs> she hands hers over to the you know to whoever's collecting them, and it's never been opened. He opens it, the binding <laughs> is still perfectly... <laughs> he's like, the yeah. book is being opened for the first time, and she's just giving him a look like, yeah, what do you want? She had this sass that I just thought was really... It was just, it was just a hell of a lot of fun to watch. And then... During the same opening credit sequence, when the vice principal gathered all of the summer school kids into the room and says to them, your parents have all been notified. You're all going to be taking summer school. You all failed the English test. And Denise looks at him and she says, I had English. <laughs> yeah. Uh, watching it today, watching it last last month, I thought it was really funny that the first day of, uh, of summer school, the classroom is full. It's like a packed, packed full. And when a shoop is trying to like uh, get out of, of the classroom, say, oh, okay, let's do a road trip and go somewhere else. And you see all the kids like sneak out and, and go away and they never return. Only the core group of like seven or, or six or seven kids. I don't know how much, how much they are that, that stick. But <laughs> obviously it's an excuse to, to, to get rid of all the extras and just focus on, on, on this core group. But I thought it was 
uh, it, it made me laugh. I thought, I thought, okay, you you know, that's clever. You know, they're going out and they're they're all escaping, and then you can focus on this group of six, seven kids uh, that are going to be the, the the focus of the film, right? And I thought it was it was that was funny. I also think it's realistic because, <laughs> to be honest yeah. with you, yeah. I mean, these are pro- these are probably the kids who. You know, in the context of the con, you know, the, the fictional world of this of this story, they probably just, you know, they probably walked away after the first or second class never returned because they just didn't care. And I'm not trying to sound all negative. I mean, I'm a high school teacher myself, so I've seen it. I used to work on the side, a night teaching gig. And this was a program for students who had dropped out of high school and were now going back for their diplomas. So some of them were as young as 17, 18. Some of the students were as old as, honestly, 55, 60 years old. And they came from a wide variety of backgrounds. Some of them were recovering drug addicts. Some of them were convicts there by court order. Some of them were people who had just arrived in the U.S. and wanted a U.S. diploma. I mean, talk about an eclectic mix of people. And I was there for about seven years, two nights a week. And... I always began the semester with a higher number of students than there were at the end taking the final exam, always. And I think that's one of the things about summer school that I really appreciate the most. And I hear you. I I, I was a teacher for, uh, in a a post-high school level, uh, in a technical school. Um, Mm -hmm. So I was a teacher for, let's say, 13 years, maybe. And and kind of the same experience that you had in high school, where I had kids that were right out of, out of high school, college dropouts, immigrants, convicts, everything you said, you said, oh yeah, I've been there, I've been there, done that. So, and, and that brings me to one of my, I don't want to say complaints, but one of the things that, that as a teacher, uh, robs me, as a former teacher, uh, robs me wrong about the film. And it's that uh, a lot of the things that shoot does are questionable <laughs> from a, from a, from a teaching standpoint. And, That's a very kind mean, word. You know, and, and, and I don't necessarily mean that the, the, the bad things that he does at first when he's a slob, but the, this bargaining with the students, um, uh, bringing a student to, uh, to be, uh, stay at his home, that, that kind of thing, you know, I'm going to help you with, uh, uh, to learn to drive and I'm going to help you with football. If you, if you uh, pay attention, that kind of thing. And those are things that you're not supposed to do as a teacher. And, and so uh, that, that was kind of, oh, you shouldn't do that. If you want to have control of your classroom or, you know, I, I started, I, I used to start very strict. Uh, first, first two weeks or three weeks, I was uh, <laughs> harsh, 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 strict, strict. And, and then you could loosen up a bit as, as they, you know, never too much, but, but, you know, that then uh, lots of students you sort of told me, you know, oh, I thought you were bad and this and that, but you know, you're really cool, and and they stayed the course because they thought I was I was fair, and, and you know, uh, I did my job, but tried to to give my best to them. So, but that 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 thing uh, were things that were among my complaints of the film. It's funny that you say that because one of the things I have written down is a lot of what you just said, a lot of the choices he makes. The very first day of the class, you know, the scene where we're introduced to all the student characters, he's reading each of their records in front of the whole class. It's like, yeah. what? <laughs> he says, okay, you, uh, your brothers and sisters are all straight A students. What are you doing here? Okay, you, you went from C's to F's. What happened? 
okay, you, he's like, it says here, you lack concentration. And it's like, he's like reading off the files yeah. of, of each and every kid. And it's like, oh, uh, <laughs> I mean, I like to think that that doesn't happen in real life. But, but then he does the same thing at the very end of the film when he's reading off all of their test scores. You know, yeah. they're all in the principal's office. So the principal's there, the vice principal's there, he's there, all the students are there, all the students' parents are there. So he's reading the original test scores and then the new test scores of each kid in front of all the kids and all of their parents. Hey, you, you went from a, <laughs> you know, you went from a six to a, to a 50. You, you went from a 38 to a 52. You, he's like reading off all of these numerical scores. And yeah. it's like, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'd be canned like a tuna. <laughs> no, no. It, and that's not are. even mentioning the fact that one student he sees at a strip club and has a conversation with him, not about, I'm getting out of here. I'm not even going to look at you. But instead, he's saying to him, you know, if you didn't do this and if you studied instead, you'd, <laughs> it's like, no, this is not the time for a lecture. The guy is wearing a Speedo in front of you. Turn around, walk away and pray that he doesn't take a picture of the fact that you are there. And then, of course, the whole subplot with the student, Pam. Yeah. Uh, you know, she has a crush on him. She's 16. He's throwing this patty at his house and all these kids are drinking and, you know, the music is blaring and the whole thing. And he's lying on his back on his bed in his bedroom, just escaping the noise. She comes into his room and then she joins him on his bed. She lies down on her back and they're looking at each other. And it's like, this is just wrong on so many levels. No, yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's one of, one of the, my other complaints with the film is that I know it's a comedy, it's a fun comedy, it's a teenage comedy, but a lot of these issues that these kids have uh, are more or less brushed over. Uh, for example, you never get to see what, what's going to happen with Pam. Uh, she apparently, she has this crush on him, but she also has some issues at home. That's why she's trying to look where to stay. I, I, I never understood, was it that her house was too full with too many people, right? There was like her sister or her, or and his boyfriend and their kids and yeah, it was like a, her brother and her brother's wife and their kids yeah. and yeah something they about, were living all together and she was, yeah but but that's the thing that those issues were more or less brushed over the the Kelly Jo Minter which you mentioned we find out that she has dyslexia and yes she she he um she makes the effort to get her a tutor but you don't see any of that. Towards the end, you say, "Oh yeah, I'm going with I, I'm I'm working with my tutor and everything's going well and and all that." So there are these things that are are mentioned just to point out what's the struggle with this kid, but we don't see a lot of that actual struggle. We actually see more of her trying to learn how to drive than her dealing with her yeah. dyslexia. So uh, it, it's I wish I, I mean again I know it's a comedy, a teenage comedy and whatnot. But I wish some of those issues were more given a, a, a bit more focus. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that Denise character, it's almost like this, the dyslexia was was downplayed. And then yeah. the last time it comes up, it's actually treated as a joke. When he's reading the test scores at the end in the principal's office in front of everybody, her mother, she compares Denise's dyslexia with Denise's crappy driving. And she's defending Freddie Shoup. And she says, not only did he get her to read, he taught her to drive. Like the way that she said it was like the drive was the bigger obstacle, the bigger, the bigger hurdle to. to <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if, if we're going to get into the things I like are, are a bit of a flip side to that. 
because one of the things that I like the most about that about the film is the fact that you have this group of of like I said six seven kids all different all from different backgrounds you have the 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 nerds you have the weirdos you have the jog you have a pregnant girl all of these different kids and there's the uh, for a school comedy you don't have the usual tropes of the bullies and the nerds and the, the you don't have any of that you have this group of seven or, or however many they were being friends working together collaborating and, and just being together i mean you have the jock with the weirds and the and the nerd uh and and there's not any of these typical tropes of of that we see in in in, in typical school comedies and i really appreciated that i thought that was that was really good yeah, no, these are definitely characters who are more, they're more developed than a lot of teen characters from the quote unquote teen movie of the 80s. Decent acting, better developed characters, and they're appealing. I, th- I think what makes the movie work overall is the fact that these characters, despite their foibles and despite their quirks and their idiosyncrasies, they're likable yeah. characters and the actors are appealing. They have personality. Like you said, they're not these one dimensional stereotypes. You know, they're, they're multi-layered. You know, you have Chainsaw, who easily could have been nothing more than a one-dimensional wise guy, yeah. a la Judd Nelson in The Breakfast Club or something like that. But he was likable because he wasn't cruel to anybody. He was just, you yeah. know, fun to watch. I mean, yeah, he was. He made idiotic decisions and did stupid things. You know, setting the house on fire, of course, by yeah. mistake, and you know, the drinking and all of that. Uh, you know, the first introduction we have to him is when Freddie Shoup is reading off the roll call, and he says, "Francis Gremp, Gremp. Uh, don't ever call me that. The name is Chainsaw." <laughs> and he said, "As in Black and Decker, as in Texas Massacre." And then Freddie <laughs> yeah. Shoup looks at his roster and he says, "Oh yeah, it says that right here." <laughs> So yeah. you had that. The, the film is very easygoing. Yeah. In that regard, the film is very easygoing, which makes it an enjoyable watch. You know, it doesn't try to. I mean, yeah, maybe there are a couple of scenes, you know, that tend to gravitate more towards the dramatic, like when he first discovers that Denise is dyslexic or when he finally gets tenure at the end and he's saying to everybody, you all worked hard and you all improved. Yeah, they had a couple of moments like that. But overall, it's just a. It's just an easygoing, laid-back film, which if you're looking for something like that, then it fits the bill. Yeah, there, there is that earnestness uh, to, to how the group bonds. Um, and, and I really found that endearing. I thought it was great. And like I said, all the characters are likable. So I thought that, that was a, a, a refreshing for a change. Despite the little dramatic touches here and there, when the jock falls in love with the pregnant girl and that kind of thing, I think that helps to keep everything grounded so that it wasn't too cavalier of a film. But, you know, I mean, issues like teen pregnancy, issues like dyslexia, it didn't treat any of them with any of these issues with any kind of a disrespectful, any kind of a dismissiveness. Yeah. But it didn't really, as you said, it didn't really dive too deeply into them either. But for what it set out to do, like, like with like with what I said with Adventures in Babysitting, it does successfully what it set out to do, which was to be light entertainment. I, I think it does. It, 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 there, there's space. I, I think there's room for, for everything. And I think it, it achieves, again, what it says how to do. But one, of, one other thing that I thought was really interesting and that I think sets it apart from other similar comedies is the fact that there's not a miracle ending 
because towards the end you expect oh they're going to pass because the teacher was so good and there but that's not the truth only like two of them passed two or three i think and, and i thought that was also refreshing i thought that was uh, for a change where you expect oh they're going to pass 100 points everybody but that wasn't the truth and it, instead it highlights you know there was progress there's still room for improvement we still have a lot of work to do but there's progress and and i thought that was also uh, really interesting yeah, like the majority of them are going to have to take the class yet again. Yeah. But then they're not better equipped to, you know, because they finally buckled down and they established a good working relationship with the Mark Hyman character. They're able to, they just have the tools now to, to continue to, to move forward. I do like very much that Shane Saw and Dave the two characters who, you know, basically share a brain, as the father said. Yeah. <laughs> I do like the fact that one of them passed and one of them didn't. Yeah, the one that passed is uh, is not Chainsaw because Chainsaw is even a bit more focused. The other one is sort of like the sidekick, uh, and it's maybe shown to be dumber. And yeah, this is the one that passes, barely passes. I think he gets like 70 and 70 was the, the, the passing grade. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then he says, oh, if you want me, I can take the test. Uh, I can take the, the, the class again when the other one says, oh, you passed. And, oh, yeah, I can take the, 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 the class again, which goes back to what I was saying. You know, this group of people are, are just, they're not focused on themselves. They're focused on the group. You know, they, they want each other to, to better themselves. And I thought that was... That was good. It's a fun yeah. ensemble to watch. Fun movie to watch. Yeah. yeah, not a perfect movie, but light entertainment. Yeah, yeah. I had one of my, one of my main issues was also with with Kirstie Alley. That, that, that I, I I didn't think there was a lot of chemistry with between Harmon and 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 Kirstie Alley and the, the the love triangle that they tried to like establish with the uh, vice principal and and Kirstie Alley and Mark Harmon. I, didn't think not that it it didn't work but i didn't think it was even necessary so i thought it was uh, a distraction obviously you you, have, you you gotta have a love interest for the for the lead but the kirstie alley character i think is probably my least favorite in the whole yeah. film i mean i was never really a kirstie alley fan much anyway the look who's talking films uh, I just never really found her anything interesting to watch. I never thought that she really brought much. But I just find her as an actress not to have too much chemistry with too many of her of her co-leads. Maybe with John Travolta, she had some. I will give her that much. But when she's acting, she doesn't seem to be paying attention to the other actor and getting lost with that other actor in the scene. She seems to be more acting within herself. Yeah. You know I what I mean? Like, you know, doing her lines and, you know, doing, you know, whatever facial expressions, expressing any emotion or whatever it is that the script calls for. But she's doing it for the camera. She's not doing it to get lost in a scene with whoever she's acting opposite. I've seen better. I've seen worse. But I certainly don't go out of my way to see something that she's in because, you know, she's in it. I don't think she's in much lately. (laughs) (laughs) But... I do have, again, some behind-the-scenes fun facts for the film, but I'll let you go first. You know that Mark Harmon is shown, one of the students is Kevin. He's a football jock, and he needs help with his football. You know, you know, I, I need help with my throw and stuff like that. And Mark Harmon, uh, shoot, helps him with, uh, we see them interacting in the football field. You know, you have to throw it like this and that. And Mark Harmon was also, was actually a quarterback uh, for UCLA in the 70s. And that's, uh, you know, 
that's that was right up his alley. I have no idea how tall he is, but I can see that he's got that athletic build to him. How much is it? Six feet. Six feet. So that's more or less tall. Okay, I'm six feet. All right. Yeah, I'm six feet. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, the first fact that I have is that the high school that they used to film the movie is the exact same high school that was used for the first Karate Kid. Yeah. Yeah, I read that too. There's is the there's connection ocean, to Elizabeth Shue. Yeah, again, ocean, Oceanside, something like that. I think it's the name of the... I think so, yeah. Of the high school, yeah. One that I have is that one of the Hawaiian shirts that Shub wears uh, is the exact exact pattern of one that Montgomery Cliff wears in From Here to Eternity, the iconic uh, 50s film. And an iconic actor, one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I was watching an interview with with Harmon, and he said that that was uh, Reiner's idea to to have him wear that, that specific shirt. And did you know that Chainsaw and Dave, in, the, in one of the earlier versions of the script, it was not the Texas Chainsaw Massacre that they were obsessed with. It was actually an early 1930s horror film called Freaks, directed by oh, Todd Browning, who also yeah. directed the uh, Bela Lugosi Dracula. Kyle yeah. Reiner saw Freaks. He read the script, saw that these characters were supposed to love this movie, Freaks. Now, if you haven't seen Freaks, it is... Oh, really disturbing. It's, yeah, oh, yeah, I've, I've seen, seen it. it. It's disturbing. You just think about the exploitation of it all. But yeah. Kyle Reiner, he went and saw, he went and watched Freaks because he wasn't familiar with it. And according to Dean Cameron and Gary Riley and a few other cast members at a reunion panel that they did maybe seven or eight years ago, Kyle Reiner watched Freaks and said, and I quote, this is too fucking weird. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> he said, no, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to put this one. So it became Texas Chainsaw Massacre instead. Yeah. To go from freaks to Texas Chainsaw Massacre and said, that's <laughs> too weird, but this is not, it, it says a lot on the film. <laughs> no, I, I mean, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is my favorite horror film. So I, I love that, that it was that one. I've seen you say that on Twitter. That is, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. And I just have one last one. Uh, casting could have been Patrick Dempsey tried out for a role and was not cast. So did Henry Thomas, the kid from E.T. Yeah. I don't remember if it was for Chainsaw or Dave, but he tried out for one of those two roles. They had a hard time getting out of the little kid mold and little kid typecast. Yeah. I mean, after E.T., he disappeared for a long time. He played Norman Bates in Psycho 4. He disappeared yeah. again for a few years, and then all of a sudden he's in his 20s in Legends of the Fall. And it's like, oh, <laughs> where have you been? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he, he's kind of coming back now. He was in the, what is the name of this? The, the three haunted, haunted house shows that are on Netflix. There's Hill Manor, or, or there's another that's Bly House and Midnight Mass. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah. The haunting the of. Guy. Haunting yeah. of Hill House, Haunting of Bly Manor. He's in two of them, I think. Uh, I saw the first one, Haunting of Hill House, I think is the name, or Hill Manor or something like that. And, and he's one of the leads, and he's pretty good. All right, so I have trivia questions as well for summer school. I don't know how many you have. I have two. I have two. Excellent. Hit me up. 
Okay, Mark um, Harmon, Blaise Shoup, and Patrick, and I'm going to murder this last name, Patrick Labiorto, who plays Kevin, the, the football jock. They have shared the screen in at least two TV shows. Which ones are they? Okay, I know that Patrick Labiorto guested in NCIS. Was it one of, because NCIS is a spinoff, so I'm thinking it must have been one of the uh, the parent shows. Yeah. I'm going to go with Jag. Yes. Uh, Jag was the first one, and uh, Patrick Laberto was uh, a lead in that show. And when they did the backdoor pilots for NCIS, those were two episodes from Jag that later spun off to NCIS. Well, you had uh, Mark Harmon in it, and then Laberto guested on NCIS, has guested, guested on several episodes of NCIS. Yes. Okay. Two to one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, the first one I have for you is this. <laughs> I'm going to ask you this one deliberately. Dean Cameron, who plays Chainsaw, Robin Thomas, who plays the vice principal, and Patrick Laboteau, who plays the jock Kevin, all guest starred on what long-running Mark Harmon TV drama series? Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> it's the ass. Woohoo! It's 3-1. Okay. <laughs> If this were a baseball game, it would be called, but <laughs> I want to keep going. <laughs> when the group goes to Knott's Berry Farm, Shoop is wearing a band shirt that I think a, a gold rips, uh, and one of the girls fixes it for, for him. Uh, what band is it? Rolling Stones. Oh, yeah. Woohoo! Yes. Red Tong. Yeah. He came for vengeance. <laughs> <laughs> and the last question that I have for you is this. Chainsaw and Dave, they read an essay that for some reason they were allowed to write together, who we admire most in the world and why. They wrote about makeup artist and creature creator Rick Baker, yeah. who actually did the makeup effects for the fake massacre scene for the substitute yeah. teacher. In their essay, they mentioned that Rick Baker won an Oscar for what 1981 horror film? Is it uh, is it American Werewolf in London? Yes, it is. Ah, yes. Yes, it is. Woohoo! The very first best makeup Oscar that was ever given. Oh, yeah. And, and a hell of a makeup. That, that film, the, the special effects in that film are great. And that film actually had, there are a lot of connections, actually, to Matt Hammond's real-life wife, Pam Daba, who was Mindy in Mock and Mindy. The oh, Robin yeah. Williams sitcom from the late yeah. 70s, early 80s. Okay, stay with me. Okay, so <laughs> Rick Baker did the makeup for An American Werewolf in London. The lead in American Werewolf in London was David Naughton. David Naughton co-starred with Pam Daba in a sitcom called My Sister Sam. And both Robin Thomas, and who played Gills, and yeah. Dean Cameron, who played Chainsaw, separately, they both guested on My Sister Sam. So they both, they both worked with both Pam Daba and Mark Hammond, uh, husband and wife. So maybe I'm stretching it, but there's a connection right there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I, I, we'll take it. Okay. Well, as far as Adventures in Babysitting and Summer School are both concerned, any final thoughts? Or is there anything that you wanted to be sure to mention? Anything at all that anybody who's listening probably should know about the films if they want to go take a look at them? More or less what, we're, what we've already said. I mean, these are two films that I think are both fun, that are very, very 80s, very off their time. But 
I was surprised by, by how well both held up to we're watching them now. I, I think I kind of prefer uh, Adventures in Babysitting out of both. I think you prefer Summer School more. I don't know if I'm right or wrong, but I think you lean more towards it. Summer School, I thought, was funnier, but Adventures in Babysitting had Elizabeth's shoes, so it's kind of a toss-up. <laughs> no, but, but I think that out of many 80s teen comedies that I've rewatched recently, I thought these are among the, the few that have held better. There are some that I've rewatched and, and they haven't fared really well, but I thought these this two held out pretty well. And I think that most people can rewatch or watch them for the first time or rewatch them and, and still have fun or appreciate them for what they are. They're fun. They're, that's, I think that's the bottom line. They're fun and, and they're enjoyable. They're, they, and, and I think that works. As we close out, let me ask you one more time. Please tell everybody again all about your show, how they can contact you about the well, movie loot. Well, they can find the movie loot on any podcasting platform, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anything, uh, anywhere where you listen to podcasts. They can contact me personally at my Twitter. That's where I'm most active at Thief CGT, T-H-I-E-F-C-G-T, and the podcast account that's uh, that's at T-M-M-L 2021. And uh, engage with me, um, talk with me. I love talking movies. I love to chat with people. Um, and anything that people brings to the table, uh, I'm, I'm more than, than, than happy to talk about. And so uh, anybody that listens, uh, let me know. I'm, I'm listening. I like this. I like that. I didn't like this. Didn't like that. Uh, we're, we welcome any criticism. Definitely a show to check out. I love listening to it. If you haven't listened to it yet, then get on it. You'll be glad you did. Carlo, thanks again for making the time to come back onto the show. Come back again anytime. This has been great. Yeah, like we said the last time, thank you very much for, for calling me again. And it's a blast again. And it's a pleasure to be here and talk with you. Let's do it again sometime. Absolutely. Thanks again. And in the meantime, keep on screening. That was my conversation with Carlo. Check out his podcast, The Movie Loot. I want to thank him again for coming on the show, and here's to more collaborations with him in the future. And now it's time to announce the results of this week's online poll. So as people bask in the stifling glow of the heat wave that's been rampant throughout the Northern Hemisphere this week, the poll question for this episode, number 59, was... Would you rather be babysat by Adventures in Babysitting's Chris Parker or have summer school's Freddie Shoop as your summertime English teacher? On Instagram, Chris from the Movie Psycho Podcast wholeheartedly goes for summer schools saying, free sunglasses and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Over on Twitter, there were 11 votes with 36% of them going for Freddie Shoop. Chris Parker from Adventures in Babysitting hauled in an impressive 64%. And finally, from the Facebook group Silver Screeners, the scale sipped in the opposite direction, with babysitting swiping up 30% of the 10 votes, and Freddie Shoop claiming the remaining 70. So in aggregate, that means that Freddie is your English teaching man. As always, a big thank you to everyone who voted. These polls are nothing more than silly fun and to generate interest in each new episode, so thank you for making it happen. And keep your eyes open on my socials for the next poll. Just check out the Silver Screeners group on Facebook, or you can follow me on Twitter at FilmBuff1974, as well as Instagram at FrankMendoza1974, or you can email silverscreenerspod at gmail.com.
And now it's time to head on over to the listener trivia segment. In each episode, there is a different trivia question that is related to the movies or the people in them. You're all invited to take a crack at it at any time. I do want to say that I like to err on the side of caution, so I don't announce both first and last names in case that would make anyone feel uneasy, so I only announce first name and last initial. But if you tell me to go ahead and do otherwise, then full names it is. You get a shout-out as well as a movie-related meme sent your way with a personalized greeting. And don't worry about timing, because it does not matter what episode you're listening to, however recent or far back it may be. Just answer any trivia question from any episode, you'll get your meme and your shout-out. And if you're a creator of anything, from music to podcasts to websites to pottery to cupcakes, I'm always happy to give you a no-strings-attached plug. People help people, and that's all there is to it. So last time, we visited Dune Castle in Scotland and gazed upon the chivalry of King Arthur, or the version of King Arthur served up by Monty Python and the Holy Grail. The question was, Monty Python mainstay Eric Idle appears in what 1985 National Lampoon comedy starring Chevy Chase? And the answer is, National Lampoon's European Vacation. A movie-themed meme with a personalized greeting is on its way to these fine folks. The one and only Mary C., regular listener and trivia queen extraordinaire. And speaking of queens, the crown also goes to the royalty known as Queen Elizabeth, otherwise known as Liz M., my sister-in-law and fellow outlaw. Added to the list is my co-host of the local cable movie show Real Life, that's R-E-E-L, Mike W. All the best to you, Michael. And we have another Mary, Mary G., who proclaims Eric Idle to be her favorite python, and you can tell it's true from the hat emoji she included. And additionally, it looks like we have a silver screen as first, meaning that we have two people over in the Facebook film group who interacted with each other when agreeing on the correct answer. First, we have Davey A. from the podcast I'd Give That 10 Minutes. Of course, I'd be remiss not to mention that Davey A. and I have created a new podcast on our own, a joint venture that we call Across the Pod, Movies Across the Pod. In each episode, we take turns introducing each other to a new movie that the other has never seen before. So be sure to check us out on Anchor and Spotify. But Dave and I continue with our own individual projects as well. Me, of course, with Silver Screeners, and him with his own podcast, I'd Give That Ten Minutes. And when he offered up the correct answer to the trivia question, another Silver Screener on Facebook, Gail R., agreed with him, so the two of them both get shoutouts. And we again have Chris from the podcast The Movie Psycho who just released his latest episode on the original 1987 Predator. And finally, a new trivia answerer, a podcast called No on 15, hosted by 7CZ, a show that dives into all pop culture, including movies and TV, comic books, and everything else you can think of. The name of the show, No on 15, comes straight from the 1987 comedy Revenge of the Nerds 2, so they know that stuff. Thanks to all of you. Keep your eyes open for those memes, and to anyone else listening, no time like the present. Join the trivia. It's fun. And why not begin with this episode's question? Kyle Reiner directed Summer School. He's also a writer and an actor. He plays the character Saul Bloom in what trilogy of films starring George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon, and Don Cheadle as a team of robbers looking to pull off a heist at three Las Vegas casinos at the same time? Julia Roberts co-stars as George Clooney's ex. 
send in your answers. And as always, if you have any follow-up questions or have any comments on anything from today's episode or any episode that you've listened to, I'm always happy to have you hit me up on my socials. Once again, that's FilmBuff1974 on Twitter, the film group Silver Screeners on Facebook, Frank Mendoza 1974 on Instagram, or you can email silverscreenerspod at gmail.com. And that brings episode 59 to a close. As always, thank you to everyone who's listening, has ever listened, or who in the future will be listening. Be sure to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. Please don't hesitate to give Silver Screeners a rating on Apple, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Catch you next time. My name is Frank, wishing you good health, good weather, and good movies. And until next time, keep on screening. And I leave you now with the soothing sounds of the dismissal bell releasing you from class as you hop into your 80s-style station wagon and take off like a bat out of hell despite the fact that you have a flat tire and no spare.